<clears throat> so um, and then I can you can use this for whatever reasons you want later. Uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, do it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so I've got you up on our big screen here, and so um, this is our artist management and A and R class, which is and we're here at Northwest University in Seattle, as you know, my hometown. And uh, I love Seattle. <laughs> And so this is Natalie Grant's, uh, as I mentioned, this is Natalie Grant's uh, alma mater. And so nice. we, have, we have a really, really awesome uh, modern music business program now here with all kinds of crazy like recording arts courses and stuff. So I'm teaching arts management. And, um, and so this kind of leads me to like, really, we just wanted to kind of freestyle this and like speaking of freestyle I was just showing the I was just showing the class the, the Guinness Book of World Records uh, freestyle stuff couldn't have done it without Derek <laughs> yeah so that was a ton of fun and uh but I was thinking we would just literally kind of just freestyle the session you know you don't have to have anything prepared or anything but just like sure. uh really uh, like you have a lot to share in terms of industry wisdom, like about record deals, dealing with managers. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know where we want to start or even just having longevity, you know, in a music yeah. career. So sure. maybe let, let's start with that. So what, where are you at right now? You've been through a lot the last year and a half. You've, you've kind of talked about this at length. Why don't you just give us as a class like where you're at in your career, what you're trying sure. to do now? Yeah, um, so I probably wrote my first rap somewhere in 88, 89. I recorded my first demo probably around 93. Uh, made my first project 94, first full length 97, and then got my first record deal in 99. So... I mean, you could say any of those points is where my career started, but I usually judge it when I went full-time. So for me, that was, uh, I, that's where I always gauge it. So for me, that was June of 2000. I hit the road full-time. Uh, actually, was up in the Northwest. That was my first tour. Uh, got a, uh, the only time I've ever had spells cast on me was in Seattle. That was a good time. <laughs> 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 it was in the middle of Pioneer Square, just doing outreach and stuff like that. And I was like, I think that guy has a cape on. Um, anyway, uh, all that to be said, uh, yeah, through caution to the wind. Now, when I say I went full-time with the music, I don't mean, like, full-time pay. I went, you know, within a year or two, I was dropped by my label. I was, uh, uh, had my car repossessed. My, I was almost evicted from my apartment, went 10 grand in debt to the IRS. I mean, yeah, you can say I was full-time, but I had no idea what I was doing and made a lot of mistakes. So, you know, anything about the music industry is it is never this, it is this and this and this and this and this. And this. It's a constant, it's like a wave on the ocean, that's the best way you can describe it. Yeah. The ones that survive are the ones that can average all that out, the, you know, the highs and the lows. And, you know, and they're steadily on an increase over the years. <clears throat> so, the irony was... You know, at the front end of my career, I geared a lot of what I did towards the youth because I was a former youth pastor. Um, and hip-hop has always been about the voice of the youth. So I didn't know at the time that those teenagers or those, for lack of a better term, youth group kids, 
I didn't think of what they would be like 15 years down the road, 18 years down the road, 10 years down the road. So for me, 18 years full time, it went like that. Like I don't, it wasn't really a huge life change for me, so to speak, as opposed to some kid went from 15 to 32. Mm -hmm. So where I'm at now is while I'm totally out of the record label aspect, all those fans from all those years, because I've sold, I've sold somewhere around 750,000 records if you added it all up from a career standpoint. Yeah. Um, all those kids are now adults. So they are the ones that are now crowdfunding what I do. Mm. So when I, when I gear my crowdfunding, it's to those hardcore fans that have been rocking with me all those years. Because you can never take away, you can never take away the impact you make into somebody's childhood. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you're at that young age where your brain is developing, your memories and your music live side by side. So that's why we pretty much lock into certain things about our, our childhood, and it always sort of holds great memories for us. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So while you may have left me musically at some point, if I stick around long enough, I can now become like that positive memory you had as a kid. Mm -hmm. But what has also happened is, in the meantime, in 18 years, Christian hip hop is finally being accepted by the mainstream world and the, and the church. So now I have a whole younger fan base that I can appeal to just by virtue of the fact of what it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Whereas rock music was the, you know, Christian rock was the normative music when I came in, that's gone. Christian hip hop's kicked it out of the place. Mm -hmm. So I can now appeal to the dad and the kid at the same time. Yeah, right. Now, if I would have told you, if you would have told me I'd still be in my 40s, being able to do that, I would have said, you're insane. Our industry will never happen that way. Mm -hmm. But what we fail to realize is that when I came in, to, you know, as a kid, the music that I was into as a kid, be it U2, NXS, The Police, whatever, I never questioned if Bono was 30 years old. Right. You see what I'm saying? It was, it was what was normal to me. I never questioned their age or their relevancy because rock permeated everything. What has happened now is hip-hop is the same thing for kids. Kids who are 15 live in a world of 21 Savage and Eminem. Mm -hmm. And they, they, you know, the best way I can, what I discern from kids is that it's not that music is old or new anymore. It's just, do I like it or not like it? Like, it's all on the same equal playing field. So they're way more artistically savvy. All that's what I'm saying. It's a really long build up the same. So in a weird way, I've hit like almost a second win at this point. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So as long as I can continue to, for lack of a better term, keep updating my software. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, if you guys do music, you understand. You can run new software on an old MacBook. <laughs> yep. You see what I'm saying? As long as you keep updating it. So for me, it's just about being culturally relevant, knowing the new styles, knowing the new things of hip hop. And obviously, you know, from a physical standpoint, not looking like their dad, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I should be gone by now. <laughs> and yet I'm still probably playing as much as I am. If anything, I'm actually probably making more in music now than I did prior because 
I've cut out the middleman. I can go right to my tribe. I'm not trying. I used to be like when I was in the major label system, it was play to everybody. It was try to hit the hit that would hit everybody. Now I realize the music industry is find your tribe and zone in on them. Yeah. And, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit more about that. Like, so you've had a lot of radio hits and stuff over the years. I mean, yes and no. I don't. I don't know if I could say I was a radio hit guy. Well, I've had but some. I mean, you've had. I mean, I don't want to under you know understate like what it means to get a song on Air One. Like that's a big deal. Fair that's enough. that's two thousand radio stations nationwide, and you've right. done that. I don't know how many times, right? Not as many times as you think I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're still playing uh, "Shackles" by Mary Mary, right? Like. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but anyway, so now you've 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 jettisoned the that that big marketing machine, and was that somewhat by choice, or do you think that it was just kind of like it kind of came to a, a natural end for you? Like, how did well? That I mean, out of ten albums, I only could say I only had maybe one or two, maybe three songs that ever got played on Air One. So it's not like I had great averages of getting spun on Air One. Yeah. Um, maybe towards the tail end, they did embrace me a little more. Now granted, if I was getting spun, I was probably the only rapper getting spun. So in that sense, you're right, that was very unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They weren't playing barely any rap at all. Right. Um, but, you know, truth be told, I did look into pitching one of my songs towards CCM radio, I went to one of the radio guys that that's all he does is pitch songs. And he was actually nice enough to tell me because he could have like scammed me out of my money, mm-hmm. which is a lot of money to, yeah. to, to pit to get a radio guy. Um, he was like, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. These songs are great. They're not gonna play it because there's rap in it. Right. He's like, save your money. And, and the funny thing was, I was like, you know what? In this day and age of playlists, you don't need radio to have a successful career. Right. And if anything, if you do get radio now, where that's landing is a very specific audience. It used to be a much broader audience, whereas now it skews to the 35 and up crowd, probably. Mm-hmm. Right. Because kids, by and large, are not listening to radio at all. If anything, they're like, what's radio? <laughs> they get insulted if you would say that they would listen to radio because they're a generation that essentially pick makes their own radio. Mm-hmm. And so for you to tell me what I gotta listen to on radio, it's like, forget it. Now, I'm not, Christian music might want to be the few last genres left that radio still plays into touring, and but it's a very specific audience who it does play into. Right. So I, I would say the CCM industry grew that grew this way and then the Christian rap industry ran parallel and just went totally opposite. Like just shot off that way because they don't need they don't need radio. Right. Radio it used to be we were chasing after radio trying to get on. Now radio's chasing after them. Yeah, exactly. You see what I'm saying? But it's no different than what Rock did and Christian Rock did probably in the nineties. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know? Okay, I'll ask one more so, but I can tell you I, I can tell you, I still get solicited quite often for Christian radio shows, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I get somebody say, "Hey, man, can you service me with your new single?" And I look, and they're like, 
they're just running an internet station off their laptop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I, and I'm like, you know, I don't I don't ever turn somebody down. I don't try to blow anybody off. I don't try to diss them. But I'm thinking, like, I'll go and look at their playlists, and I'm like, you haven't played one of my songs that's updated in ten years. Right. You're playing stuff I put out ten, five, and ten years ago. You're you and, and some of these are terrestrial stations too. I'm like, how in the world are you thinking you're doing effective radio if that's your playlist? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big problem, especially in Christian radio. Yeah, I'm like, I can't believe how out of date some of these radio stations are. Like, I, it blows my mind. You know what I, mean? I often, jo- like, I often joke if a if a radio station could get away with playing the Beach Boys twenty four seven, they would do it. Right? <laughs> like, just play the Beach Boys forever. Yeah, I mean, I'll service radio, you know, and I've partnered with maybe over the years, there's about five, ten stations that, you know, that have always been good to me, and so I'm always trying to reconnect with them. But if I do a radio station that's more cutting edge in their, in their uh, format, if I do a show with them, they're probably only good for 100 people, maybe 50. Right. Right. Because, in other words, it used to be like Christian radio was like, we're going to reach the youth with this style of music, right? Mm-hmm. That was the cutting edge radio, Christian radius. Oh, well, the thing is, those kids are not even listening to the radio in the first place. So, like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're, and they're insulted if you would try to dare make them listen to the radio station. Yeah. What, but it's random. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and the, and the radio stations get insulted when you say, hey, who are you trying to reach now? Like, you know. <laughs> There's a thousand ways to get music now. Like, radio used to be there as, and again, I'm not downplaying radio because it still definitely has its place. But it's no different than what television is. Like, yeah, we, some people still really are locked into television. I don't even have a television in my living room. Right. Partially because my kids keep breaking it, but also because, <laughs> also because I'd rather watch Netflix. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. I okay. think radio is in the same boat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about – so this will this will be the last teacher question, and then I'll open it up for students. So Can, can I say one last thing about radio, though? Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't want to make this a generalized, sweeping statement like radio's done and we don't need them in. Because I still have a local radio station here where I live that was gracious enough to run some spots for me. Mm-hmm. And I see the difference in my release party because. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a station that does not play me. But they recognize what I do. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? So, for whatever you want to say the problems are with Christian radio, it's still generally ran by people with good hearts and good intentions. Mm-hmm. And probably they're just trying to do the best with what they have. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to point the finger out and be like, you're out of date, you're out of touch. But the reality is, it's like, we're all in this together, so like, why make enemies? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That I just want to preface it with that, because I'm not anti-radio at all. I, Does I'm, that make sense? I'm guilty. Well, you're, you're <laughs> jaded. You're jaded. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. That was all I said. So, all right. So, given this is artist management class, tell us a little bit about. I don't know if you want to tell the the true story. You don't have to name any names. Kind of what you went through recently. 
you know, and what, yeah. and what, what value do you see managers adding in today's kind of music economy? Um, if any, like, uh, yeah. where, where's, I mean, what did you go through and where's your head is at? And you know, what would you have advice for aspiring young budding managers? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I really don't want to go into that because that was kind of a frustrating period. So I don't want to dig up any more dirt. If you really want to figure it out, Google me on it, I guess. You'd yeah. Say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would say it, it is weird because I have been self-managed for over a year and a half, mm -hmm. whereas I had a manager for almost 10 plus years. And the irony was, is that I thought I would be inundated with so much work, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, maybe it's just because my workload is less now. I don't know. Or maybe I'm smarter in how I do it. But I can tell you this. Without a manager, I have ran my world probably as well or not better. Now, I'm probably not your typical artist, but I'm also a teaching pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a dad of three. I run my own music, I run my own uh, management, uh, I do all my own servicing. I still have a booking agency, but I, I advance my own shows. I can tell you in this day and age of digital technology, you can kind of do it yourself in a lot of ways. Now that's just from an administrative standpoint. Do I have the time or the hookups to run after X, Y, Z that the, maybe a brand new artist? My reputation of being around for a lot of time, for so long, gets me into a lot of places. I, I don't want to negate that. Mm -hmm. So some artists will need a manager to open up doors that they simply can't open up for themselves because of the nature of them just being young in the industry. But from an administrative standpoint, mm -hmm. there's no reason why you can't do it yourself. Now, if you can't do it yourself, it's either you just terrible administration and maybe you do need somebody to do it for you. But I would say this, you better learn how to do it for yourself before you delegate it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we're like, I just want to be an artist. I just want to be creative. I just, uh, <laughs> it's just an excuse to be, be lazy. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> better to at least know how to do it and give it to somebody that can do it better than to just write it off and never do it because I don't know. That's my own work ethic. You know what I mean? But it's super easy to set up your own writer. I, a lot of my stuff is just pages. So if a, if a, if a, uh, and I, I keep it very streamlined and very simple. So I have a hidden page on my website. It's the promoter page. You want pictures? Oh man, I need you to email me a. Set it. I said, dude, go to this link. Everything's on there. If you're asking me for anything else after that, you're just being lazy. And stop going to Google and pulling pictures off Google because you don't want to get my own picture. <laughs> and I tell you, the promoters will do that. Like they'll be like, I don't want to make an official flyer. I'm just gonna grab the first Google image of him from 17 years ago <laughs> and stick it on the flyer. Yeah. So again, streamline everything. I have a rider. I have a da 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 da. Um, and maybe because now I'm doing my own management, the personal touch seems to go a long, long way. Mm-hmm. I've saved shows because they were like, ah, I can't do this rider, it's too much. I'm like, what's the problem? Oh, it says your stage is supposed to be this feet by that feet. I'm like, it doesn't say it has to be. It's just suggesting to you. <laughs> oh, that's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. Oh, okay, well, let's do the show. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
But I can't tell you how much the personal touch goes a long way. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I've, I've gotten shows and I've almost lost shows because of that, because of no personal touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. No, that's um, good. I, I would say you're probably not uncommon in now into kind of like today's era where, you know, there's so many great tools available to us all. There really. is. There really is. Right? Like, we can be so much more efficient and just going so di- going direct to fans and, like you said, building your tribe directly. And I, and I can tell you a great website that, I, that, again, as my foray into the indie world and self-run is Banzoogle. I love them top to bottom. is mm-hmm. um, great because it's literally a website for bands. You can do your own mailing list through them. Mm-hmm. You can uh, you can set up your own pages. You can skin your own website. You can create the site however you want to create it. You can sell your music directly to the fans. Set up your own store. Like it's so easy for a guy that's not a coder of any of any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Banzoogle. But if I could tell any artist anything. The one thing I would tell them is start building your email list now. Mm. The only thing I ever say I can regret of 18 years that I did not do is build an email list. I was so late in the game to build an email list. And the problem, the reason why I say that is because all the social media tools that we've used for so long to promote music on, they are all cracking down. They are all building algorithms that is going to hide your stuff as soon as they even sniff out Mm self-promotion. The organic reach that I had with my social media 10 years ago is probably down to 5% of that now, Mm -hmm. I I would assume, because they just want you to pay. Mm -hmm. The only thing about an email list is that when someone signs up for your email list, they are actually saying, I want to be solicited by you. Mm -hmm. And outside of a spam filter, there's nothing stopping them. Now, if your fan clicks like on your Facebook page or your Instagram, they're saying, yeah, I want to hear from you. Facebook is now jumping in and going, no, you can't. <laughs> you may think you can, but you can't because we're going to hide it from you. <laughs> and that's what's happening. And it's only going to get worse because there's, you know, if there's money to be made, someone's going to make it. Mm-hmm. Right. So get those emails as fast as you can mm-hmm. and, and just... Because when it comes down to you ever trying to do a crowdfund, a tour promotion, your rate of return on the email list is infinitely higher. And you and you've seen that like you're not seeing like, uh, like that people complain. Hey, I never see your emails because it's in 800 spams that I get or whatever every day. I mean, if it is, it is. But if you opt in for an email list. It's kind of your way of saying, yeah, I want to be on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You subscribe. That's what I'm saying. A voluntary email list. I'm not talking about buying them or like yeah, yeah. finagling them. But like when I went to go do Pledge Music the first time, they took a look at one thing, my social media reach and my email list. And they actually based how much they allow me to crowdfund on my email list. Mm. Interesting. Huh. So. Yeah. Okay. You guys want to do questions? Anybody? So. I have a question. Okay, Margaret. So, um, Margaret, why don't, why don't you step up to the camera and say hi? Oh. Yeah. I'll, I'll let them stand up one by one to the camera so that you can see who they are. <laughs> hi, I'm Maggie. So, hey, Maggie, how are you? I'm good. 
My question is, um, so uh, Christian rap hasn't, it's taken a while for it to get to where it is today. And yes. Christian rap, like you said, it was that edgy way to reach new kids, but it was still kind of like looked down upon in the mainstream church. And you came yes. in during that time when it was looked down upon. And then on top of that, you're white, coming into a black... <laughs> coming into a like um, a predominantly black art form, art form because yeah. I mean, and it when, still is. When Eminem came out, people were like, "No, he can't do that. He's white. He has no no right." But eventually, people have accepted him. But what were the challenges that you faced being white and being a Christian rapper when it was not popular whatsoever? <laughs> yeah, it was a double whammy, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, like a triple whammy. So I, there's a lot of layers to that question, so there will be a lot of layers to this answer. Um, well, first of all, my background was one of a kid from the suburbs, a kid from the hood, and a kid from northern rural Michigan. So I had a very diverse background growing up. So I grew up around many different types of people. So whether I realize it or not, it probably gave me a better perspective coming into something like hip hop mm -hmm. than maybe, well, I can be honest with you, when I came in, white guys were just not trying to do it because there was not, it wasn't gonna happen, you know what I'm saying? And in fact, I wanted to be a DJ before I was a rapper because I was like, oh, at least I'll be accepted as a DJ. <laughs> so um, I think, and also, I also came in in the 90s where 5% theology was very prevalent, which was black man is God, white man is the devil. Mm -hmm. So this is a pressure cooker, and on top of that, I'm in Florida, which while it may be perceived as diverse, it's very segregated diversity. Mm -hmm. So I say all that with the idea that when I did things that were cross economic lines, cross religious lines, whatever you want to call it, I did it with a very, with probably a better understanding of it. Mm -hmm. So if I was dissed for being a white guy, I didn't, I'm not, well of course I took it personal, but I, I also would go, why is he doing that? Why is that, why am I getting stuff thrown at me? Mm -hmm. Why am I being thrown off the stage? Why am I, is my life being threatened? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And while it didn't make those things any easier, a little bit of perspective goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Especially, Especially from a ministry standpoint, or if if why is this thought process popular? Well, it's because of all this other baggage behind it. Mm -hmm. So how can I, as the enemy, overcome that? Well, I, one, I look to scripture for principles to go with. Two, I also realize that it is a grind. It is a Consistency. If anything, I can be honest with you, it made me better. Mm -hmm. It made it made me have to be at a skill level higher than the average white guy and and some and really higher than the average black guy rapper, mm -hmm. because I was put under that much more pressure. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So pressure does one of two things: it either breaks it or it creates it. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why I learned how to freestyle because I was always being put on the spot to rhyme. Oh, you Ryan White Boy? Okay, let's see what you got. Well, if I come off the head, that's a skill set that most people don't have. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't a necessary thing. So, again, and then from the church standpoint, it was just about building bridges. It was about walking with people hand in hand. It was about, you know, if you look at my early music, it's very watered down mm -hmm. because 
if I if I did the rap that I wanted to, which is the reason why I got dropped in the first place, to be honest with you, um, if I did the rap that I wanted to, the church was not ready for it. Mm-hmm. So I had to do, and and I'll be honest with you, at one point I realized who was embracing me. It was small town suburban church kids. So I was like, all right, I'm just not getting as much love over here from all these other peripheral people. I am going to focus in on the ones that are paying my bills. Mm -hmm. And for 10 years, 15 years, I played to that audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're taking care of me now. But the funny thing is now I can do the rap that I wanted to do 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Because what's happened is now those white kids, those suburban white kids, their standard is what the mainstream standard. I'll be honest with you, the only thing that really happened is the is the internet level the playing field. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as secular CD burning parties anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> right. you can't burn an MP3, you can't burn a screen. <laughs> That's true. Why am I saying that? Because if you're asking me why did the church come around, why did maybe racially did things come around a little differently, it's because the internet has now created every little slot that you could fall into. Mm-hmm. You don't have to play to the, there's no gatekeepers keeping you out anymore. Everyone has a chance to hit the home run. Mm. Yeah, so, so that was my challenges. And, and, and I just, I, I made the philosophy a long time ago, and I said this up front, is that hip-hop is a black house, and I am a guest in that house. So if I'm a guest in your house, I come in with respect. I, I respect your rules. I wipe my feet on the floor. If you want me to take my shoes off, I take my shoes off. And you'll be surprised that people will invite you back. Mm-hmm. What's happened now is everyone can build their own house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. To add on to that, um, would you say that being, I guess, this anomaly, would they say that it made you understand racism better and made you understand why black people felt the way that they did and did, did it make you understand did it change your per- perception of racism and yeah well you have to understand i was also a kid at 13 who his who did who did his book report on the autobiography of malcolm x so i was not your typical mm-hmm. <laughs> 19 year freshman in high school so um I think what I understand, is there a time where I walk around with a chip on my shoulder and a poor old me mentality and a sense of entitlement? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's just part of your 20s and being stupid. But I will say, <laughs> I didn't mean that as a shot. <laughs> I'm just saying that looking back now, I can see that. Um, I will say that uh, whatever quote unquote racism or prejudice that I may have faced mm-hmm. is not comparable to what the originators of hip hop who created this art form. It's this the, the two not it's like when people go, well, why can't I say the N-word, man? You say the N-word. Well, what if you call me cracker? Well the first of all is nobody gets their feelings hurt if you call me cracker. I mean maybe in some situations <laughs> you know like cracker, da 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 I get the sentiment of it, but the two words are not the same. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what I experience as prejudice does not compare to what a black person experiences as prejudice. Mm-hmm. And I understood that. So if I got my hair petted in the hood like I was a weird animal and my arm, mm-hmm. you know, 
and treated like an exotic bird that I heard other black people say, don't touch my hair, that's my hair. I'm like, yeah, I've had my hair petted by 15 project kids Mm -hmm. for two hours straight. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean the same thing. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They're two different things. Mm -hmm. So while I could say that, yes, maybe I experienced similar things, Mm -hmm. they're still not the same thing. And I understood that. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that eased the blow of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm a weird per- I, I have a we- I've had a weird existence. That's the best way I can describe <laughs> it. And and if you if you're ever willing to put yourself in other people's shoes, you can usually understand your place in the world a lot better. So. Yeah. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's like I've all been smooth sailing. There are certainly times where I have had to go, you know walk this out in my prayer closet, but a perspective goes a long way. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next question. We'll come up. Great question, by the way. <laughs> Somebody's coming up. Just hang on a sec. <laughs> hello, hello. How's it going? Wait, can you see me? How you doing, man? Yeah. Uh, um, my name is Amari. Um, Amari. I want to preface this by saying uh, I'm a hip-hop buff. I love, like, hip-hop is everything to me. Music in nice. general is everything to me, but hip-hop in specific. So I want to ask you this. It's getting to a point, both age-wise, both mentality-wise, and even just even societal norms-wise, like, you get to a point where you run out of things to say. You run out of things that <laughs> make you different. You run out of things that, you know set you apart from the crowd. Um, I don't know if you saw a little video that Eminem himself did, but he said, like, as he ages, like, it rhyme, rhyming gets easier. It's it's right. rapping that gets harder day by day. Yes, um, yes. I just want to know, like, where do you stand as, as somebody who's been in the industry for so long? Like, like, what keeps you going? Like, where does your stamina come from? How do you continue to pump out song after song, knowing that it's just going to get harder as time goes on? Sure. Um, well, I think inspiration can come anywhere at any time if you're willing to look for it. I think that's the problem with older artists is that either they become isolated or they become set in their ways of the way that they always did it. And if you don't surround yourself with people that are younger, with fresh perspective, fresh insight, a fresh take on the world, if you're not surrounding yourself with them and being willing to listen to them, then yes, you will run out of things to talk about. You will get caught up in the same loop of what you do, the way you always did it, the way that it always worked. Again, I hate to say it, it goes back to what I was, the software analogy. You can be an older computer as long as you're willing to update your software. So when you update your software, it doesn't change the basics, things of who you are, but the way you run your programs, you know what I'm saying? becomes different. So, yeah, I, I could absolutely, it's funny because people are like really slamming the new Eminem album. And on some aspects, I was like, I can relate to some of the things he's saying because he's saying it as a grown man. He's saying it as someone who is running out of inspiration. I understood that, but I understand that only appeals to like 2% of people in the world. <laughs> so, there is the other problem is, if you're known for one thing, they will always hold you to that one thing. And if any other thing is about hip-hop, is that we are always on to the next thing. Like, hip-hop 
sheds its skin and grows new skin like almost every year, if not every two years, if not every six months. So the best way I could, the best quote I ever heard was, "Rap is a young man's, a young man's game and an old man's survival." So I've had to become realistic about myself knowing that, will I ever sell what I used to sell? Absolutely not. Will I ever have the platform saved for some weird viral hit that I had? Probably not. Am I okay with that? Absolutely. That's the difference between me and a lot of guys that I came in with that are now bitter, jaded, the marriages are a wreck, the finances are a mess, they have no inspiration, the music sounds terrible. I hang around young kids all the time. I work with young teenagers at my church. I'm an interim youth pastor there. I'm always listening to what my 10-year-old has to say. I am always studying what's popular in meme world. <laughs> because it is a great pulse on where people's heads are at. I could go, screw mumble rap, it sucks. Or I could go, why do people like mumble rap? Now, does that mean I become a fan of it? Not necessarily. I mean, there might be some things in there I like, but I at least want to know why do people like this? I literally just got done with a conversation with my son. No, I'm not joking. Literally 10 minutes ago, he goes, Dad, does door rhyme with home? I'm like, no. He goes, then why does something, something 6'9 think it does? I go, because he's zanned out of his mind. <laughs> he goes, really? I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I go, if you're... Zand out of your brain or on Molly or on Lean, of course that rhymes. Of course that seems okay. Of course, it, and if you're playing music for people that are in the same drugged out mindset, they don't care. But that's what he's, I can't say this necessarily what my son's into, because even my son, he knows the songs, he might put them on his playlist, but even he'll be like, yeah, he don't rap very good. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, but I understand at least why that's popular. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, I find people fascinating. They are never any source of stupidity, awesomeness, <laughs> ridiculousness, <laughs> and all. And that never leaves me with anything to talk. And I will say there is one discipline that I've always done for 18 years: is I always write down song concepts, I always write down rap couplets, and I'm always writing down hooks, melodies. I'm constantly anything that hits me, I write it down or I record it. That way, when I get stumped, I always go back to that, and I have a never-ending stream of things to fill. Because creativity is a wave. It comes and goes. If you don't ride the wave, and you're on the bottom of that wave, it sucks. But if you have stuff to pull you out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I let, and I let people produce me. Like my new record, I let people produce me all the time. And I got a kid. I'll you, can I share one last thing, and I'll be done? Yeah. <laughs> I have a kid on my new album that I could literally be his father. I'm old enough to be his father, right? And that to me sounds bizarre as heck. But what he brings to the song that we did together is the perfect meshing of the both of us. But I wrote the chorus that he sings. You see what I'm saying? But I'm smart enough to know that I cannot pull the chorus off the way he can. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes, sense. It makes a lot of sense. So... That's the best way I can describe it. And I can, I know my peer group that'll be like, oh, I hate that kid's music. He sucks. He's mumble rap crap. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, but if it's working, have you ever stopped to realize? And, and to be honest with you guys, we all look at rap 
with revisionist history. I'm like, let's be honest, nobody knew what the Fushnikins were saying in 93. <laughs> Stop acting like they did. They were doing their own version of Mumble Rap. Stop talking about these kids with skinny jeans on and bright hair, and you go look at the Furious Five, and they're dressed with a purse and some tight pants on. Right, right. Everything goes in cycles. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. All right. I know you guys have tons of questions. Who wants to go next? <laughs> you guys don't have questions? What? I don't have a question, but okay. I just have a comment. Sure. I'm, I don't really just stand up or anything, but um, hi, I'm Michelle. <laughs> um, hi, Michelle. How are you? <laughs> I'm so good. Um, I just thought it was interesting earlier you mentioned um, that, like, the the kids that listen to your music have now like grown up and you know they're like parents and adults or whatever i kind of i came in as a kid actually and i listened to your music a lot um with my brother and i i do have those memories those are some of my fondest memories as like going out to lunch after church with my family and me and my brother would be huddled in the corner of the booth with his like mp3 player like the first mp3 player i ever had and inherited from him after he was done with it um, but it was it was your songs that we were listening to and so um just that impact is not only on that older generation but kind of the middle generation that grew up with you as well and so i just wanted to say that yeah, you know, um, one thing I want to tell you guys that I forgot to tell you is that uh, one thing that has happened in music that now is unique is that we have removed most of the sensory, uh, the, most of the sensory input or experience from music. And, and, and you know that any sensory experience you have, the more you experience it with all five of your senses, the more it will endear itself to your heart. So when music was still mostly physical, that means you experienced the sense of touch. There's a smell to a CD. You just mentioned your MP3 player. That means that was the aesthetic feeling of it. Um, when we had liner notes, that was something we, we watched visually. And we experienced it auditory. So obviously that's four of your five senses. Now picture, if you will, your boyfriend or girlfriend or your potential wife or husband or whatever. Can you imagine if the only way you ever experienced your interaction with them was just listening to them. Right. And yet, that's how we experience music now. Right. So what happens when we take away sensory experience? It becomes disposable. Right. It, it doesn't have the same shelf life. We, it's not as close to our hearts. How often do we say, oh, I like track five, but track four, okay. Track seven, that's my joint. We don't even know the name of the songs anymore. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is, if you want people to endear themselves to your music, you have to add the sensory experience back that they are not getting. Mm -hmm. Hence, why for all the reasons is vinyl going up in sales when CDs are tanking? Now, it's not like vinyl's taking over, but I'm just saying, vinyl is the only format that keeps going up every year. Mostly it's your generation of millennials wanting to experience the thing that you did not grow up experiencing. Mm -hmm. yeah, right, that's true. So you have now romanticized vinyl into this yeah. thing that it never really was. <laughs> it always just really so sounded bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, it's big and it's cool and it's da-da-da-da and I got XYZ on vinyl and, and it feels like you found a, your own secret little language. But really what you've done is you've added sensory experience back to the sensory that you did not have. Mm -hmm. 
and you've added a big sensory experience because obviously vinyl is big. There's a smell to vinyl. You have the, the visual. And what's the one thing that vinyl makes you do? Sit down and listen. You Think about the 60s. None of us got the experience. I'm just saying, think about the 60s where the thing was to smoke weed, go in the basement, and put on one album and listen to it. Why am I saying that? So out of the 60s, we had these massive arena tours yeah. spilled over into the 80s. The, obviously, the biggest selling record of all time is Michael Jackson's Thriller. I'm saying because they were so intense with that sensory experience, it led to a deeper connection with the fans. Grateful Dead fans following Grateful Dead around all across the world. Now, I'm not saying we don't have this happen now. We do. We do it from viral senses. We don't have it on the same level. But what I'm saying is, you as musicians, your job is now to re, if you want your fans to connect with you, is to, you have to re-add sensory experience. So a live performance, obviously, physical product that you sell at your shows, um, your interaction with people, you see what I'm saying? And this is things that your generation is coming into, you're like the first generation where you're somewhere on the cusp in between, right? You, you know a world that became digital, but now it's all digital. My, my kid, who's Gen Z, I guess you could say, he doesn't know any of this. Right. So what that'll play out is different, you know what I mean? And the other thing to also keep in mind is that supposedly when you turn 35, your brain stops producing a certain chemical that does not allow you to bond with music the way you did in your teens. So the music you connect with in your teenage years, as your frontal lobe is still developing, will always be the music that literally lives right next to where your memories are. Your memories of your brain is right where you experience music. So when you impact teenagers, you make fans for life. Now, maybe when they hit their 20s, they're like, screw you, I don't like your music anymore. They will come back around. I promise you, they will come back around. Now. Going back to what you said, and this is probably where I'll end it, but I'm saying, going back to what you said, do I get irritated when people still think I'm the Mountain Dew guy who writes songs to Eminem and eats Coke fries and cheeseburgers? I wrote those songs 17 years ago. <laughs> wow. But there are still people in my fan world that think I still sit around and I'm writing Dear Slim Part 3 and I'm about to eat, like these like having a joke that was funny a long time ago that's not funny anymore. <laughs> but never will you hear me ever complain about it. Never will you, except for now, I guess, but <laughs> you, won't, you won't hear me, like, you won't hear me, because you hear about artists that are like, I don't ever want to play my hits, right? While I'm not that person anymore, I don't write songs like that anymore, I'm not in that mindset anymore. Never will I downplay you for thinking I'm that guy. You know what I mean? There's two things you can do. You can be a bridge builder or a bridge burner. It's your choice. If you burn your bridge, you can never go back over it. If you build a bridge, you can use it all day long. So, okay. Well, hang on, Mark. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to see if I can spread the goodness around. So hang on a second. I got a question. No problem. Okay, so I'm wondering. Who's like kind of on your radar, both in the secular realm right now as well as the Christian realm? That that you're, I mean, you don't have to like avidly be listening to them, but just who's on your radar? <laughs> Who are you like looking at right now that's popping? 
Um, I mean, I try to stay up on everything. So, I mean, obviously from a hip-hop standpoint, I mean, I like the J. Coles and the Kendricks and, and the Joey Badays and, the, you know, like the... Golly, I'm trying to think of other people. Honestly, because I do hip-hop, sometimes I don't even want to listen to rap. Like, I really like the new Matt Carney record. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I like the Mute Math record. Um, yeah, Mute I mean, I know those are like super old school groups, but I mean... Um, I look. Do I think Lil Pump sucks? Yeah, pretty much. But I understand why Gucci Gang is a hit. Yeah, no, true. I'm not saying I. I. I, I guess I could say at this point in my life, I don't even look at music as good or bad anymore. I just look at it as effective or non-effective. So when you say who you're listening to, I'm listening to who's effective and who's not effective. That's really what I'm listening to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's the same thing in the Christian market, and it's weird now that. Like, a guy like NF is so popular, right? Because right. I remember when, when he was, a, like, a teenage kid sitting across from me in Michigan, and we're talking about what it's like to live in tiny towns in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And now people are, like, going, yo, man, can you get me backstage? I'm like, I haven't talked to that guy in a year. Like, well, I don't have, like, these guys on speed dial anymore. Like, yo, man, why look crazy so into black nationalism now? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Talk to him. <laughs> like, I'm not his publicist or his manager. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I had, literally haven't talked to him in three, four years. I don't know. But I can tell you that, um, I, you know, like, I really, I mean, I mean I'm partial to Derek Minor just because he's been such a homie for the years. You know, uh, I just had a whole message about suicide and depression where I used Logic and I used NF song. Yeah. So you can say whatever you want about his music. That song hit a lot of my teenagers yeah. in that night. You know, let me down. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, the Miss Social Club. I mean, I. it's weird because these are like, these people are almost like little brothers to me. You know what I mean? So it's like, what do you think about your little brother? I don't know. He's my little brother, man. I beat him up around the house. <laughs> like, he's, like, all these guys have surpassed me on so many levels. So it's like, I'm proud of them in a lot of ways. You know, I'm really proud of them. I'm really proud that they could go further than I ever did. Yeah. You know, yeah. do I walk around bitter like man? I paved the way for you. Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, I, I just put out. A, I have a documentary about to come out about my story, and one of the last stories is Marty from Social Club, and he talks about his mom running over his CD, his Eminem CD, and making him <laughs> buy my album. And I'm like, <laughs> I never thought I'd hear this someday. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, to me it's effective, not effective. You know, that's the way I look at music. You know. Right. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? And you, I just want to add one more thing. Real yeah. Quick. Mm -hmm. Um, you were talking earlier, kind of about your demographic and who you're, who you're kind of focusing in on right now. Um, but aside from that, I don't mean this in like a weird way, but have you ever thought like about? ever changing up what you're doing and kind of going a completely new direction or has that thought not crossed your mind at this point? Well, it depends on what you mean changing it up. I mean, I've done a, done a song in just about every genre possible. I think what happens is a lot of people don't hear those songs. So whatever you're thinking I should change up to, I probably already have. You just never heard it. Like, <laughs> Right. Because, and I don't mean that in a diss, I just mean that because the longer you're around, it's so hard to get your music in front of people that may have already looked at you a certain way. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's really hard, especially now because we're all inundated with too much music. Like we have, there's just no way we can all pick it. 
That's why we let the playlist in our Spotify pick it for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we don't even realize that's the new payola. I don't know if you know that. You're being programmed to like stuff, and you don't even realize it because the algorithm is picking out what you like. That's a whole other story. But anyway, yeah. I will say, um, if you listen to my new stuff, most people are pleasantly surprised. And it is to me, it's a little like people go, "Yo, man, I'm glad you're still in it, man. I thought you quit." I'm like, dude, I've done 150 shows for 18 years straight. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but I understand why maybe you don't know that. I'm not mad at you. Life goes on, you know what I mean? But if you listen to the song I just, uh, like two days, you know, is featuring Dayton. Like it's, it's almost like a Drake meets French Montana track, but it's still very much me. Right. You know what I mean? I've done a rap rock album. I've done a freaking R&B looking thing. My last song off the last album was like me and a country group. Like I've done almost everything possible. And even the new stuff has whatever you want to call the triplet future flow stuff on there too. Right. My way is just how do I make it me? You know right. what I mean? For sure. So it doesn't come off inauthentic. You know what I mean? Right. So cool. but but what you're saying is absolutely I always think of how can I challenge myself. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Okay Margaret's so, gonna come come back to Margaret here. So, Margaret's back. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that Chance the Rapper has been kind of known for is giving his music out for free. And I think yeah. one of the things that he realizes is that there's no money in buying anymore. And one right. of the reasons, and I, and I thought about that for a while, like I as a millennial, have I ever bought an album? No, I haven't. I download it off YouTube, I listen to Pandora, and that's right. just the way I've listened to music. And the only things I do buy are those vinyl records. So, um, how has that paradigm shift affected you and your music, and how do you make money now? So I recognize that right off the jump, because I already looked at music as free. Music is free, absolutely. But music is free in the sense of the way we look at water. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is water free? Yes and no. You pay a water bill every month mm -hmm. for unlimited water, right? Mm -hmm. So... It's not really free, but if, it, I, if I brought you to my house and I said, hey, you want a glass of water? You're like, yeah, okay, that's $10. You'd be like, you're insane. But that's really what the music industry has been for 35 years, you know what I'm saying? We figured out how to bottle water. Now, you will pay the same amount. You'll pay $3 for bottled water at a sporting event and not think twice about it. Why? Because the circumstance dictates for you that you're thirsty in the moment and you have nowhere else to go. And you're paying for the exact same water that's free. Did you ever think twice about it then? Mm -hmm. No, because your circumstance dictated you would fork over the money. Mm -hmm. right. So once I understood that, then I understood two things. That in the moment, I can sell you water. At a show, when you like my show, and you want a tangible thing, you're going to buy my CD. Mm -hmm. That's me selling a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. Everything else is Spotify streaming, right? Mm -hmm. So when I fund my albums, I'm not going to, to you at all. I'm going to the 35-year-old fan that doesn't know how to download anything. <laughs> <laughs> they still exist. Yes, that's true. That's your older uncle. That's your older brother. That's some of your parents. That's... Mm -hmm. Listen, I love my wife. She's amazing. We've been married almost 20 years. But if I go to a Christian concert where I know 90% of the people on that tour, she will make me go buy their CD. Mm. 
Do you know how humiliating that is for me? <laughs> but that's the way my wife operates when it comes to music. So I fund my albums before I ever drop them. I fund them through Kickstarter. I fund them through Pledge Music. I offer all kinds of incentives. I do pre-sales. I do all these things to not to sell to you. Now, maybe you will maybe buy my vinyl if I do vinyl. But I'm not selling to you. I'm selling to your older brother. I'm selling to da-da-da-da-da. Because when I finally get the record funded, and I know I've, I'm at zero right now, everything I've spent, I've made it. Now when I drop it, and you just want to Spotify it, that's okay. Because ironic, sad to say, or good to say, some of my fans are a little behind the times. Mm -hmm. They still want to download. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, like, I don't. I could give a zillion things away on my pre-sales. They still won't get it unless they go and get it off iTunes. Mm -hmm. So that's how I paint. And I actually, again, I, all my records are in the plus category. All my records have made money. All my records are paid for before I even drop them. Wow. I sold two, almost 2,000 CDs in the last year of my previous album. Mm. Wow, that's good. That's yeah. still on par with some of the, the stuff that I've sold previously. The difference is it doesn't cost me anything to make a CD, so I can sell my CD at five bucks because it cost me less than a dollar to make. When I was an artist, I was having to buy the CD for five dollars. Mm -hmm. right. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's just where I try to get funds from. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's and that's the way I do it. Yeah. And and like I said, I'm making more money now than I probably did as an artist. So, uh, KJ, last last question because I want to respect your time. So, talk to us a little bit about touring. What does that look like now? Getting shows, um, how what the climate is? You think for churches yeah. and tours and just what do you, what do you see out there? So, uh, again, I can only speak from my perspective, which yeah. might be different than the average. But I can tell you that, um, again, ironically, uh, because Christian rap is now accepted. Yeah. The youth pastor that was a kid when I used to rap, mm -hmm. I'm saying he was a kid when I first started, he's now the youth pastor. In some cases, he's the senior pastor. Right. Oh mm -hmm. So they're really the gatekeepers. Yes. So that guy is now booking me to perform at his youth groups, D-Now, Lock-In, whatever the youth event is, right? Mm -hmm. But am I getting paid less than I used to? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not, and, and it's not beneath you. Like you don't look at that as a down well, thing. Like, if you if you averaged it out, I'm probably making the same amount of money because I'm now going in totally solo. I come in with no DJ. I come in with no hype man. I come in with no band. So because my expenses are infinitely less, mm -hmm. it's probably the same profit margin. Right. You see right. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. My per show was getting more back in the day. But my expenses were higher. So was I making more? I had more people in the hands in the pot. The, it's funny because now the, these promoters, they don't care if I come by myself. They're like, yeah, come by yourself, man. You put on a good show by yourself. It's only 100, 200 kids. I'm like, cool. Yeah. So that's what touring looks like in that sense. Do I have to hustle harder for shows? Absolutely. No question. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's just across the board. I think everyone is way more tighter with our entertainment dollar. I mean, look, it's not just music. We all don't go to the theater the same. We all don't go to sporting events anymore. 
we are all wanting more for less. Mm -hmm. So as an artist or a touring artist, you better offer more for less price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I've, I've added new things to my repertoire. I do graffiti art, uh, which I always did, but I mean now I can do it in the church setting. I speak, mm -hmm. I'll rock your show, and I can offer all those things to you when I come. The average rapper cannot do that. But I, if I didn't add those things, I would be just as struggling. And I can tell you, I really take care of those that bring me in. I play a lot of things more, two, three, four times. I get booked by the same people all the time. I keep super good relationships with my people. I come in. I'm a team player. You want me to You want me to meet this group? No problem. You want me to bust a verse on your praise and worship group thing? No problem. You want me to speak here? No problem. Mm -hmm. You want me to vacuum the stage? No problem. I mean, no, I have my limits. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but the point is, I come in to serve, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Record sales cover a multitude of sins, but once those sales drop off, they're going to remember how you treated people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I, and I'll say the last and final thing, this is, the, this, is, this is the day I realized that all the years I spent sewing into it paid off. Again, I work in a church setting. I mean, my music is still my main thing, but I work as a teaching pastor also, which puts me in multiple things. The worship leader they just hired, she ran my merch when she was in high school. Oh my god. Oh, that's cool. At a show. That's cool. Now, can you can you imagine how awkward it would have been if I was a jerk to her back then? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll go even one step further. Our new senior pastor, who's five years younger than me, mind you. Mm -hmm. I did three shows with him back in the day. I don't remember him at all. Mm. <laughs> but he hosted me three different times. Wow. So I'm, all I'm saying is, had I not take, been, you know what I'm saying, stewarding things well back then, I benefit from that now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Right. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and that's just great music industry practice, right? Treat everybody the same, whether they're a janitor, right, a senior pastor, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can tell you, most of the guys I came in with are not here anymore because they did not steward the platform well. Mm, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very true. Sad to say, but... Yeah. And the ones that are stewarding the platform well now, it's going to catch up to them too. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so how do we get on your email list? <laughs> <laughs> Go to my website sign up. Yeah. And what's and what's is it just at kj52.com? KJ yep. Okay, but your social media is at kj52 or what? Except for Instagram, that's kj52 Instagram. Uh, I give you my Snapchat, but apparently the new update's terrible. Nobody wants to be on Snapchat, so uh, <laughs> kj52 Snaps is my Snapchat. Facebook is kj52. Website kj52.com. Um, actually, as of this Thursday, my documentary drops, my new music video, and the new album. Part two. And is that, like all that comes is out the documentary time. dropping on YouTube? Where are you dropping it? We're gonna actually. Well, YouTube just changed the rules, so you can't rent. You can't just be a creator and like rent your movie anymore with them. So it's gonna be strictly on uh, Vimeo for now. But if you just go to JonahMovie.com, that's where it is. So okay. Yeah. Cool. And is there anything you want to say about the movie in terms of like how do we share it? Like, what is it? Like, what is it about? Like, what? How, well, how would you? Okay, so how would you, again, this is brand new. I've never done this before. Again, as a fan, it was a kid. 
who was a kid when I started. He's now 25. He shot two videos on my last album over tacos. He's like, dude, I love your story. I want to do a documentary about you. I'm like, all right. Like, my dad's coming down in like six months. We're up with my dad in it. And then for six months, we just shot footage like people I grew up with, shows. So it's another tool for me just to use. We crowdfunded it through Kickstarter to pay for it. Um, what we do with it from here on out, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I mean, it'll be set for like rental and mm. at first before we give it away. You know what I mean? But as, so. as, as future music business leaders, how can we use it to help like get a good you know, message out or help promote you? Well, again, like remember what I said about adding, remember how I told you guys adding sensory experience? Yeah. This documentary adds experience back to my story. Mm-hmm. So whether you know who I am or not, it's a story. It's a 52-minute story of, of up and down, da 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 and that's it. You know what I mean? Or if it's like homegirl right there who like used to listen to me back in the, you like <laughs> you'll, you'll love to hear what happened during your slip. So it's like yeah. it hits everybody. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. Okay, all right, KJ. Thanks so much, man. Hey, appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. Yeah, kiss your wife twice for letting us take care, uh, take take more of your time tonight. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. Okay, God bless, man. Good night. Later. Good night. Bye. 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 B